Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let Mom's Green Thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give Mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. This episode is brought to you by AARP. 16 years from today, Greg Gerstner will finally land the perfect cannonball. Epic Splash. Unsuspecting Friends. A work of art only possible because Greg is already meeting all these same people at AARP volunteer and community events that keep him active and involved and help make sure his happiness lives as long as he does. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org local. Welcome into the Golf Channel podcast presented by Top Golf. I'm your host, Rex Hoggarty, and it's my pleasure to be joined by Spencer Levine. Spencer, thank you so much for joining us. I know you're getting ready for the, this week's event, the Rust Oleum Championship. So, uh, again, thank you so much for taking the time. Yeah, buddy. Thanks for uh, having me on. I'm glad to be on it. Well, we're talking U.S. Open and obviously going back to Shinnecock Hills for the first time since 2004. That was your first major, and it was obviously your first U.S. Open. You played it as an amateur. Can you give us your thoughts of what you thought of the golf course when you first arrived at Shinnecock Hills back in 2004? Uh, yeah, um, it was uh, obviously really difficult, pretty much like every other um, USGA event seems to be. Um, I just noticed that you could tell it was going to get, you know, as long as the weather didn't rain, it was going to be really fast and firm. And the thing with, you know, pretty much most USG events, it's, if you're not on with your driver, it's hard to play out of the rough. So uh, you kind of go into those events thinking the more fairways you can hit, the better you'll do. And that kind of seems to be a theme in, in, in those kind of tournaments. So, and that's what it seemed to be. And then on Sunday, it just became crazy how firm and fast everything was but it was a great experience for me it was my first major like you said and I ended up playing really well so it was a, that was a great week for me one I won't forget well and as an amateur I mean it didn't seem to me you you opened with a first round 69 put yourself right in the hunt did you feel overwhelmed at all or did you feel immediately comfortable um you know I looking back I I think I was a little nervous on the first tee you know like everyone else but it wasn't anything crazy i mean i played in you know u.s ams and u.s juniors and and um i played pretty well that year in college so it was i mean i was excited i don't think i was intimidated or anything like that it, it was just more of an excitement thing but um i had a hole in one that first day it was the first hole in one i ever had up to that point too so that was that was pretty memorable I, I was going to get to that. You got off to a bit of a slow yeah. start. You were one over through your first nine holes, and then it got very interesting on the back. You went birdie, birdie, three straight bogeys, birdie at 16. Talk me through the hole-in-one. Club, yardage, wind, what happened? Yeah, it's funny. Um, there was a big rain delay right before I hit that shot. So I mean, it must have been two hour, I think it was like a two-hour rain delay. And um, I teed off late that day, so by the time we went back out, everybody was gone. Like, there was, you know, all the fans pretty much left. Um, but anyway, it's kind of funny. I thought it was going to be a seven-iron shot, so I hit a bunch of seven-irons on the range, 
before I went out to play. And then last second before I was going to, before I was going to hit my shot, the wind started blowing downwind. So I grabbed the eight iron and uh, knocked it in the hole. And the thing about that hole is it's a blind tee shot. So you can't see where your ball ends up. And my college golf coach and my assistant coach were like the only people following. And they were up left of the green and I hit the shot at the pin, and you don't know where it ends up. And they start doing freaking cartwheels and backflips and stuff. <laughs> they start going all crazy. So we knew it went in. And I walk up there, and the hole right behind that green is where Phil was teeing off. So all the remaining fans basically were all watching Phil. And so once they saw I made a hole one, they all came up to the green and started cheering and clapping. And it was pretty cool that they happened to be there at that time. And I grabbed the ball and I threw it in the crowd for them. So, the, uh, pretty memorable, man. That was pretty cool. The follow-up question was going to be, do you still have the golf ball? But apparently not. Nah, That's some fan in New York. Uh, somebody, I don't know who has it, but somebody, somebody was standing back there. One of Phil's, one of Phil's fans has <laughs> <laughs> They probably had him sign it after the round. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Can you just walk me through that that stretch? I mean, again, it, birdie, birdie, three straight bogeys, the hole-in-one. I mean, it, it was an exciting back nine for you to finish off your, your first round in the U.S. Open. Yeah, it's funny. I kind of uh, – I don't really – now that you mentioned I can kind of look back and remember some of those birdies and bogeys, but obviously remember the hole-in-one. But the hole before that, I remember it was a par five, and I hit it in there like four feet for eagle, and I missed it. And right after I missed it, they blow the horn. So I'm pissed off. But then I had, you know, I was, I was kind of glad that we had a delay there because it kind of got me to sell myself. And I realized, look, you just made a birdie. It's all good. Like, but I remember going up to the next hole, like, ready to hit the shot. Like, I wanted to, I was pissed off getting ready to hit. And they blew the horn right before I was going to hit. So it kind of obviously helped me out. Now, so. you. You end up playing well, making it to the weekend. I, I'm actually working on a story about 04 and what happened on Sunday, obviously on the se seventh green. But what I've found interesting is that a lot of players, Stadler was in that last group, J.J. Henry, they actually go back to Saturday and talk about the golf course started firming up and, and getting those type of sort of crusty conditions on Saturday that we ended up you know, talking about what happened on Sunday. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do. I do. I remember I played uh, Lee Jansen on Saturday, and I remember it firming up now that you mention it, but Sunday, I just remember it being pretty crazy, like that par three, seven, I believe, was, I mean, it was like a seven or eight iron shot, and guys are making seven, eight, nine, like, crazy scores on it, like, couldn't even keep the ball on the green, and that's kind of what stands out the most out of, out of, all the holes, even though all the holes were obviously like crazy firm and fast. I remember like the uphill putts on Sunday were still fast. It was unbelievable. Now you actually I made a bogey on seven. Uh, you made a bogey on seven on Sunday, which is, you were gaining a shot on the field. Shot. I remember hit a, I hit a shot, perfect shot, dead solid, landed on the front of the green, bounced about 30 feet in the air, went all the way into like the back grandstands, up against the grandstands. Seriously, and I had no swing, and then I obviously, you know, you take a drop from the grandstand. I hit a flop, as good a flop as I could hit. It rolled all the way over the other side of the green in the front bunker. And then I hit a bunker shot, a good bunker shot, about three or four feet past the hole, and it stayed there. 
And I remember, I still remember being over that putt thinking, if I don't make that putt, I could still be there right now. You know, and it was like, it would have gone right back in the bunker. And it was just unbelievable. I couldn't wait. It was, the bogey felt like a freaking eagle, you know. So that was, that was an unbelievable hole. Well, and talking with Kevin. And then I remember the ground screw was watered, watered the green right after I played the hole. So unbelievable. They were watering in between holes, and it was always seemed to be after I'd finished the hole. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. They must have done it about three or four times. Pretty funny. Well, that was Phil's comment. He said it, it, it was fine if you were in the group that, you know, they watered in front of you, but he, he felt the same way you did. That I, They always seemed to water after Phil I got done. That That's yeah. what happened to me. Yeah, they kept watering right after I finished the hole. <laughs> <laughs> like four times. Unbelievable. Well, in talking with Kevin Stadler, and, and he was kind of in a similar boat as you were. He was playing his first Open, his first uh, major championship, and, and talked about how wide-eyed he is. And he goes, when, when he got to Sunday, and he goes, he was almost shell-shocked when you putted the first green and then you get to seven and, and you realize these conditions are, are probably a little bit out of control. Do you remember being that way? Yeah, I remember, uh, I think the scoring average that day was like 80 or something. And it was a par 70. Yeah. You got the best golfers in the world averaging 10 over par on a golf course. You can imagine how stupid that is. Like, if your average golfer played there, they couldn't even play. So, it was um, it was unbelievable. I remember on the practice green that day, you could you could throw the ball down on the green and bounce up and catch it. <laughs> that's, that's a true story. Uh, well- it was a J.J. Henry said that there was caddies pouring water on the putting green and it wouldn't go into the surface, that it would just rush off like you were pouring it into a bathtub. That, that literally, I, could, I believe that because I do remember throwing a ball down and it bounced up pretty easily. I didn't have to throw it that hard. Like it was just, you know, kind of like a normal little throw and then it bounced up to about your waist. Just unbelievable. <laughs> now, when you, when you get done playing and you finish with a 75 that day, which is probably about five under when you consider how difficult the golf course was playing, how much confidence did you take from that performance at Shinnecock back in 2004 as far as you starting your professional career after that? Well, you know, Rex, that, was, uh, that tournament was huge for me after that because um, I had a great summer. I won a bunch of tournaments, amateur tournaments, um, ended up being – uh, first team All American the next year in college golf. Um, was like top ranked amateur college guy. Me and Ryan Moore were kind of back and forth. But that tournament itself just gave me a lot of confidence just to play well. It's amazing what stuff like that can do for for your golf. And it's and any golfer will tell you that confidence is you know the whole thing. So, but um, yeah, that was that was a great summer for me and. I kind of knew after that. I knew I always wanted to be a pro, but after that, I knew that for sure, like that, that's what I wanted to do, give it a shot. So um, that was a big tournament, huge tournament for my for my psyche and my confidence. Now we're going back next week to Shinnecock Hills, and obviously everyone's memories go back to 2004 and the issues they had on the greens and what happened on number seven on Sunday. But uh, it's amazing how many players I talk to that say it's one of their favorite golf courses, that, that they love it. I, I want to point out that you tried to qualify. I mean, you, you grinded hard on Monday at the qualifier mm-hmm. in Columbus. I mean, you wanted to go back. Yeah, I mean, I, I played well the first round. I shot five under and then I had a bad second round and I missed by a couple. But of, of course, I want to go back. I mean, any, I mean, as a kid, at least for me, I mean, you always dream of winning the U.S. Open. So anytime if I got a chance to play it, I'm going to do what I can to try and get in it. 
Did you always feel like yeah, you're getting? Yeah, the course itself, Rex. Yeah, the course itself is great. Yeah, yeah, the course itself is great. I mean, it's I can see why it's a lot of guys' favorites. Just, just the atmosphere around it, you know, and everything about it. There's, obviously, the U.S. Open is huge, but even if it wasn't the U.S. Open, I think guys still love that golf course. And still want to go play there, you know. Did you always feel like your game was well suited for U.S. Open? I mean, because you always seem to play your best under either U.S. Open or U.S. Open light conditions. Um. I don't, I don't know. It's funny. I, I generally, the best part about, at least for me, I mean, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to outdrive anybody, but, but I hit a lot of fairways. So I think a lot of times when the rough is really high, like even if a guy's out driving you and they're in the rough, if it's hard for long guys out of the rough, even hitting a nine iron or something, then I usually tend to play well because I think that, you know, even if I'm coming in with a five or six iron, they're coming with an eight or nine iron. Uh, I'm going to be in the fairway a lot, and if they happen to miss the fairway, I guess in normal conditions they can still get it up on the green. But when you play an you know, open or something like that where it's just penal, whether in the rough, whether they're hitting a wedge or anything out of it, um, I seem to do to do have my best tournament so far. And I don't know why. Maybe it's just – I don't know if it's a coincidence, but um, I don't know. I just – I feel like when it's – more demanding to hit fairways those type of golf courses i seem to do my best now you went on to play in three more opens after shinnecock hills you multiple majors is there one thing that you learned playing in 2004 um you know i i not really nothing specific i just it's just golf i mean it's one of those things where if you're playing well I think it kind of doesn't really matter where you're playing. And, and you know, a good shot's going to be a good shot anywhere, and a bad shot's going to be a bad shot anywhere. So that week I played really well. My game was on. I was putting well. So I don't think it would have mattered if it was at that course or any other course. Whereas I played an open um, as a pro, you know, a handful of years later at, at, uh, at the Olympic Club. And then the year after Shinnecock in 05, I played at Pinehurst. And I didn't, didn't play well. So, obviously, I didn't have the same success. I don't know if it was necessarily the way that that particular course set up, whereas I just wasn't as sharp with my game. So, I think that the learning curve was really nothing that there's no secrets. You know what I mean? It's like, basically, if I'm playing well, then it'll show in my performance, and if I don't, it won't. And that's kind of what it was. I just wasn't sharp. So, But that's what makes the USGA event so good. I mean, I feel like if you're not on, you're going to know real quick. And if you're on, you'll uh, it'll show in a good way. Did you know you were on that week? I did. I, I was I was driving it great. I was playing well. Um, I was playing well in college up to that point. Um, just felt good about it. I was hitting fairways, you know, putting good, and and I was playing well the whole uh, week leading up to like the tournament because you know you get there, you can play Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. There's no pro am. And I'm a 19-year-old kid, and I'm just fired up to be there. My dad's guy, and I just wanted to go play every day. So I was playing 18 holes every day. And I was playing great on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and it kind of it kind of carried over to, to the tournament. So I felt there was nothing. I didn't feel anything weird going to the tournament. I was excited to play because I was playing well. Okay, we've established that you don't have the golf ball anymore, that you made the hole-in-one on 17. That one's lost to history. <laughs> do you, I'm guessing you still have your low amateur medal, right? You got a medal? I do. I do. Where, I have the medal. I do. Where is that? That is actually in my dad's house right now. So, 
<laughs> yeah, where I grew up, in the house I grew up in. So I got old memorabilia stuff laying around there. All right, there's going to be some other 19-year-old amateurs or at least amateurs in the field for this week's event. What advice would you give them going to Shinnecock Hills, playing your first major, everything that goes into that? I mean, I, 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 it's the same thing I think everybody tells everybody, you know, just play your own game and uh, just try not to be intimidated by anybody. I remember I, uh, I went up to, to Nick Price that, um, that week because he was always like my favorite player as a kid, and he's, he's one of my favorite guys. He's a great guy. And uh, anyway, I mean, I, I was kind of nervous. I was nervous going up to him asking for a practice round more than I was just playing golf. But uh, he ended up already having a foursome so he couldn't play. But he was super cool to me. And he just told me, you know, uh, just don't be intimidated by anybody. You know, don't let anybody intimidate you. Just go do your own thing. And it sounds simple, but, I mean, I think that's the best advice. I mean, because I just remember, you know, you get in that tournament and all of a sudden you're playing with, guys watch growing up on tv all the time and then you're hitting balls next to them on the range competing against them so that can be that's exciting and it's fun and and it can kind of maybe do the hurt you a little bit if you look at it the wrong way so just that simple advice helped me out a lot and i think that's what i would tell a, a kid now if i saw him playing did you have any other moments i mean normally you talk to guys and they remember the first time they're on the range and tiger's hitting balls or phil's hitting balls or ernie did you have any of those moments uh, that week? Um, yeah, I remember hitting balls next to Tiger um, on Sunday, just saying what's up to him. Um, and I just thought, wow, this is pretty cool. And then it just all happened so fast, man. It was just weird. I mean, like, you know, you go playing practice now, playing good, then all of a sudden you played great that week, and then I'm low amateur, and then at the end you're standing there next to Bill, who came in second, and Retief, who won right there, like, you know, with a little award deal or whatever. And it's like it just happened so fast, and all of a sudden it's like, wow, I, like, how did I get here? I'm here now. And I don't know. It just that, Right then, obviously, it hit me after it was all said and done, but it all just seemed to go by pretty quick. Now, and there's always a story where the week after you're either at an amateur event or you're back in school taking classes. What did you do the very next week? Oh, it's funny you said that. I, I went I, – Flew to California and I won the state amateur the next week. <laughs> yeah, and I uh, I get there and I got there as fast as I could, and a and a friend of mine um, actually switched tee times with me, a guy named Bob Niger. He was a very good Northern California amateur player, and he he was able to talk to the the people who were with the NCGA with the Northern California Golf Association, and was able to switch tee times with me because he knew I was getting in later. It just allowed me to play because I was going to miss my tee time. So that was pretty cool. Bob did that. But, yeah, so I remember just getting there, literally getting off the plane, running to the tee, and went out and shot like five under. It was pretty crazy. It was like, I don't know. It all blended together. It was a, it was a pretty crazy two weeks for me. Right back at it. Congratulations. Uh, real quick, can we talk about your, your season? Obviously, you played really well on Monday. You just came up a little bit short at the qualifier. How's the rest of your yeah. season been going? Uh, it's, been, it's been terrible. It's been the worst year I've had. Um, as a professional, um, it's missing every cut by one or two, and uh, just on the wrong side of it all year. But um, it's 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 kind of weird because it's not like anything is that bad. It's just it's such a fine line between missing a cut by one or two or making a cut by one or two, you know. And I just it's been brutal. But if you're making cuts by one or two and finishing, you know, top thirty here and there, it doesn't seem so bad. And it's not even doing anything different so 
I just hope that I can have a good week. I just hear soon before the season gets out and I can get it on a good roll like you were kind of talking about, how like one good week can kind of turn everything around mentally for you. So that's kind of what I'm hoping for, Rex, and I hope this is the week to do it. Well, I hope it is too, Spence. I really appreciate you taking the time, pal. Thanks, buddy. No, thanks for having me, Rex. Enjoyed it. All right. Thanks for listening to this Golf Channel podcast presented by Top Golf. The Golf Channel podcast is available on golfchannel.com backslash podcast and your favorite podcast provider. So go to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Art19, and Google Play. Search for Golf Channel Podcast and subscribe. If you love the show, please be sure to leave a rating, review, and tell your friends. See you next time. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash activecash.